the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. One of the benefits of a yearly cycle of Sunday readings from the scriptures is the opportunity to meditate on how the readings from the different parts of the Bible speak to each other at any given Mass. Over the years, one may also begin to see how the Sundays start to speak to each other as well. And today is one of these opportunities. Our reading this morning is the third of three related gospel lessons that started on Trinity 12, when we saw Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, go to a region heavily populated by Gentiles to heal the deaf and the mute man. On Trinity 13, last week, we see the Good Samaritan who journeys to a region heavily populated by Jews to help a wounded citizen on the road. In both stories, we saw an outsider come to a place that should have been hateful to them and embody the mercy of God in that place. In both stories, we saw Christ move his listeners beyond their ancestral boundaries and accepted conventions of what it means to serve God as people who were supposed to be enemies revealed a deeper sense of piety and love for neighbor. This pattern crescendos this morning in the gospel lesson as Jesus walks a road that is directly in between Galilee, a Jewish region, and Samaria, a region culturally at odds with the Jews. On the road in this in-between space, Jesus encounters a group of lepers from both regions, outcasts of their hometowns brought together by their common affliction. The two groups whose animosities anciently had underscored our lessons from the past two weeks are now forced to become one group because of the undeniable fact of their illness that had made them to come to depend on each other as people who were otherwise dead. And it was there, dead as they were to their own peoples, that Jesus met and healed them. This fellowship of rotting flesh became the fellowship of the restored at his word. But all was not settled, and the story does not end there. After they are restored, our Lord makes much of the fact that it is the Samaritan alone who returns to offer thanks and worship. He is the one who, after experiencing divine mercy, does not simply go back to the way things were. While everyone else goes away healed, the Samaritan alone is the one to whom Christ says, you are well, or more particularly, you are whole. These three Trinity Sundays establish for us a pattern that helps us understand the Christian life and its progress over time. We begin our lives as Christians interpreting what it means to follow Christ largely in terms of how he makes our lives more fulfilling or enjoyable, how he gives us something we want or refrains from giving us something we don't want. Yet Christian maturity upends this order of things, and that becomes clear over this long liturgical season we're in. Trinity is all about the reorienting of our allegiances, loosening our loyalties to the world 
so that they may be offered anew to King Jesus as we prepare for his return in glory at his second advent. Just as Lent leads us to Easter, Trinity leads us to the end of the world. Central to this reorientation, though, is a necessary disruption of our old identities, the things by which we labeled and defined ourselves. At the heart of this transformation of identity, though, is a tension and, in fact, a war between two forces that conflict with each other, what St. Paul in the epistle terms the flesh on one hand and the spirit on the other. By flesh, St. Paul does not mean the body, the body or the stuff of the body itself or matter. He means a way of being human that we inherit by being the descendants of fallen Adam and Eve. In the beginning, in our creation, we were not created by God to be self-sufficient, but to require divine aid beyond ourselves to lead whole and complete lives. The fall was an attempt to push back against this necessary dependence on God. And the consequence of the fall was an inherited and inheritable condition of being not only without that divine aid that makes us whole, but also an inherited addiction to our own sense of independence from God. Left in this condition, we eventually came to disdain God who always wants to give to us long after we have tried to push his hand away. We come to disdain our neighbor, who always looks to us with need, because we are interdependent upon each other, and they remind us that we're just as needy as they are. St. Paul summarizes this awful condition of the flesh as being without what he calls the spirit, the breath of God that made Adam a living soul in the creation. St. Paul sees the fall as a giving up of the breath of God, and that to be breathless in any case is to be dead. To be dead in our flesh is to begin to use things and people as attempted substitutes for that breath, to cling to them for life, with a mounting desperation, even as they prove unable to provide the life that we need. As it was in the beginning, the spirit, the breath of God, is the only true life of what would otherwise be mere dust, mere flesh. To receive the spirit is to be made alive again as a living soul, and with it given the life that is ordered again toward God and toward neighbor. To receive the Spirit is to be restored to the fullness of life again. It is to be made whole. The church is the people upon whom the Spirit is breathed. The church is the image of that borderland where Christ went to find the lepers. Like them, we are those who have been brought from all other places to be where Jesus is. Like them... Christ meets us when we are in a place where we most cry out as, other, as those who would otherwise be dead, but for the life that he alone can give us. But even here, in the church, the spirit and the flesh are at war in our hearts. 
If we seek to co-opt Jesus as a way of propping up our old ways of life, as a way of getting back to normal, then our faith serves the purpose of a cosmetic, a kind of makeup dabbed over flesh that can only decay. If we seek Jesus as the only hope of those who are otherwise dead, though, worthy of all that we have and are, then we will receive from him a life more full than any we lose to gain it. We gain his life. We gain Christ's life. The Christian life is a displaced life. We are never really at home in this world, in this way of things. And the prayers of the church reflect this truth. When we pray, as we do in the collect this morning, we ask for God's help not to ensure the continuity of our world, but to receive life from beyond the world, from the kingdom at the world's end. We need this life not because it makes our lives in this world more functional or efficient. We need this life because it is the wholeness that gives meaning to all other notions of health. The only answer to the dying of the world is the resurrection of Christ. The mature Christian takes as a given that the world is incurably dying and thus becomes capable as one with no other options to proclaim with integrity Christ the life giver to the dying that they too might receive life and live. Jesus is the center in whom the Father holds all things together. He is the fullness. The Spirit always moves everything toward Christ at the center. The Spirit draws us Christward into his full life, away from any lesser life we might choose for ourselves. If we have exalted ourselves, we'll be brought down to meet him at the center. If we are in despair, we'll be brought up to meet him at the center. If we're passive, we'll be spurred into action. If we are active, we'll be challenged by his stillness. If we are self-righteous, we will endure his piercing examination. And if we are self-destroying, we will endure the steadiness of his love. If we're individualists, we'll be made to carry the burdens of many. If we try to hide in the group, he'll call us out to meet him alone. If we're new to this life, we are near him because he is the beginning. And if we are far advanced in this life, he will call us yet further because he alone is the end. The gospel begins in frailty and it ends in wholeness. This is the shape of our liturgy as Anglicans and it is the pattern of life in Christ, and it is the reason we are here today. We're not, we are here to ask Jesus for help as those who have no real other options. We're here to receive his life. We are not here to make our lives in the world better. We are here because what we receive here is the only true life there is. If we offer our lives freely to Christ this morning as he offers his life freely to us in communion, we may leave today as those who are in practical ways healed, but we will surely leave as those who have been made more whole.
We've crossed the midpoint now. Trinity Tide is about preparing for the end of the world. But we must always remember that the end of the world is a person, and his name is Jesus. As he draws nearer to us, so draws near the end of all our worlds as we know them. He draws near to meet us in the Eucharist today in this in-between place we call the church, drawing us out from the old things of the flesh to make us new by the giving of his spirit. Remember to say thank you. As Jesus said, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.